Chapter 18 of Arema. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Dodge. Arema by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter 18 Out of the Golden Gate. Little things, or what we call little, always will come in among great ones, or at least among those which we call great. Before I passed the Golden Gate in the clipper-ship bridal veil, so-called from one of the Yosemite Cascades, I found out what I had long wished to know, why Firm had a crooked nose. At least it could hardly be called crooked if anybody looked right at it. But still it departed from the bold straight line which nature must have meant for it, everything else about him being as straight as could be required. This subject had troubled me more than once, though of course it had nothing whatever to do with the point of view whence I regarded him. Suan Isco could not tell me, neither could Martin of the Mill. I certainly could not ask Firm himself as the sawyer told me to do when once I put the question, in despair, to him. But now, as we stood on the wharf exchanging farewells, perhaps forever, and tears of anguish were in my eyes, and my heart was both full and empty, ample and unexpected light was thrown on the curvature of Firm's nose. For a beautiful girl of about my own age, and very nicely dressed, came up and spoke to the sawyer, who stood at my side, and then, with a blush, took his grandson's hand. Firm took off his hat to her very politely, but allowed her to see, perhaps by his manner, that he was particularly engaged just now, and the young lady, with a quick glance at me, walked off to rejoin her party. But a garrulous old negro servant, who seemed to be in attendance upon her, ran up and caught Firm by his coat, and peered up curiously at his face. "'How young Massa's poor nose dis long time! How him feel, s'pose, now again?' he inquired with a deferential grin. "'Young Massa ebba able take a pinch of good snuff? Hee hee! Missy bear a heavy den? Missy no learn to dance the nose poke den?' "'What on earth does he mean?' I could not help asking, in spite of our sorrowful farewell, as the negro went on with sundry other jokes and cackles at his own facetiousness. And then Uncle Sam, to divert my thoughts, while I waited for signal to say good-bye, told me how Firm had got a slight twist to his nose. Ephraim Gundry had been well taught, in all the common things a man should learn at a good quiet school at frisco which distinguished itself from all other schools by not calling itself a college and when he was leaving to begin home life with as much put into him as he could manage for his nature was not bookish when he was just seventeen years old and tall and straight and upright but not set into great bodily strength which could not yet be expected a terrible fire broke out in a great block of houses newly occupied over against the schoolhouse front. 
without waiting for master's leave or matrons the boys in the californian style jumped over the fencing and went to help and they found a great crowd collected and flames flaring out over the top of the house at the top of the house according to a stupid and therefore general practice was the nursery made of more nurses than children as often happens with rich people the nurses had run away for their lives taking two of the children with them but the third a fine little girl of ten had been left behind and now ran to the window with red-hot flames behind her the window was open and barbs of fire like serpents tongues played over it jump child jump for god's sake jump cried half a hundred people while the poor scared creature quivered on the edge and shrank from the frightful depth below at last stung by a scorching volley she gathered her nightgown tight and leaped trusting to the many faces and many arms raised toward her but though many gallant men were there only one stood fast and just where she fell and that one was the youth firm gundry upon him she fell like a stone from heaven and though he held up his arms in the smoky glare she came down badly badly at least for him but as her father said providentially for one of her soles or heels alighted on the bridge of ephraim's young nose he caught her on his chest and forgetful of himself he bore her to her friends triumphantly unharmed and almost smiling but the symmetry of an important part of his face was spoiled forever when i heard of this noble affair and thought of my own pusillanimous rendering for verily i had been low enough from rumors of firm's pugnacity to attribute these little defects of line to some fisticuffs with some minor i looked at firm's nose through tears in my eyes and i had a great mind not to go away at all for what is the noblest of all things in man as i bitterly learned thereafter and already had some guesses not the power of moving multitudes with eloquence or by orders not the elevation of one's tribe through the lowering of others nor even the imaginary lift of all by sentiments as yet above them there may be glory in all of these but the greatness is not with them it remains with those who behave like firm and get their noses broken however i did not know those things at that time of life though i thought it right for every man to be brave and good and i could not help asking who the young lady was as if that were part of the heroism the sawyer who was never unready for a joke of however ancient quality gave a great wink at firm which i failed to understand and asked him how much the young lady was worth he expected that firm would say five hundred thousand dollars which was about her value i believe and uncle sam wanted me to hear it not that he cared a single cent himself but to let me know what firm could do firm however was not to be led into any trap of that sort he knew me better than the old man did and that nothing would stir me to jealousy and he quite disappointed the sawyer i have never asked what she is worth he said with a glance of contempt at money 
but she scarcely seems worth looking at compared compared with certain others in the distance i saw the young lady again attempting no attraction but walking along quite harmlessly with the talkative negro after her it would have been below me to pursue the subject and i waited for others to reopen it for i had heard no more about her until i had been for more than a week at sea and was able again to feel interest then i heard that her name was annie banks of the firm of henniker banks and co who owned the ship i sailed in but now it was nothing to me who she was or how beautiful or how wealthy when i clung for the last time to uncle sam and implored him not to forget me over and over again he promised to be full of thoughts of me even when the new mill was started which would be a most trying time he bowed his tall white head into my shoveled hair and blessed and kissed me although i never deserved it and a number of people were looking on then i laid my hand in firm's and he did not lift it to his lips or sigh but pressed it long and softly and looked into my eyes without a word and i knew that there would be none to love like them wherever i might go but the last of all to say good-bye was my beloved jowler he jumped into the boat after me for we were obliged to have a boat the ship having laden further down and he put his forepaws on my shoulders and whined and drooped his underjaw and when he looked at me as he used to know whether i was in fun or earnest with more expression in his bright brown eyes than any human being has i fell back under his weight and sobbed and could not look at any one we had beautiful weather and the view was glorious as we passed the golden gate the entrance to what will one day be the capital of the world perhaps for as our captain said all power and human energy and strength are always going westward and when they come here they must stop or else they would be going eastward again which they never yet have done his argument may have been right or wrong and indeed it must have been one or the other but who could think of such things now with a grander thing than human power human love fading away behind i could not even bear to see the glorious mountains sinking but ran below and cried for hours until all was dark and calm the reason for my sailing by this particular ship and indeed rather suddenly was that an old friend and cornish cousin of mr gundry who had spent some years in california was now returning to england by the bridal veil this was major hockin an officer of the british army now on half pay and getting on in years his wife was going home with him for their children were married and settled in england all but one now in san francisco and that one being well placed in the firm of henniker banks and co had obtained for his father and mother passage upon favorable terms which was as we say quote, an object to them unquote. for the major though admirably connected as his kinship to colonel gundry showed and having a baronet not far off if the twists of the world were set aside also having served his country 
and received a furrow on the top of his head, which made him brush his hair up. Nevertheless, or all the more for that, was as poor as a British officer must be without official sesame. How he managed to feed and teach a large and not clever family, and train them all to fight their way in a battle worse than any of his own, and make gentlemen and ladies of them, whatever they did or wherever they went, he only knew, and his faithful wife, and the Lord who helps brave poverty. Of such things he never spoke unless his temper was aroused by luxury and self-indulgence and laziness. But now he was a little better off, through having his children off his hands, and by means of a little property left him by a distant relative. He was on his way home to see to this, and a better man never returned to England after always standing up for her. Being a child in the ways of the world, and accustomed to large people, I could not make out Major Hockin at first, and thought him no more than a little man with many peculiarities, for he was not so tall as myself, until he put his high-heeled boots on, and he made such a stir about trifles at which Uncle Sam would have only grunted, that I took him to be nothing more than a fidgety old campaigner. He wore a black-rimmed double eyeglass with blue side-lights at his temples, and his hat, from the shape of his forehead, hung back. He had narrow, white, wiry whiskers, and a Roman nose, and most prominent chin, and keen gray eyes with gingery brows, which contracted like sharp little gables over them, whenever anything displeased him. Rosy cheeks, tight-drawn, close-shaven, and gleaming with friction of yellow soap, added vigor to the general expression of his face, which was firm and quick and straightforward. The weather being warm and the tropics close at hand, Major Hawken was dressed in a fine suit of nankin, spruce, and trim, and beautifully made, setting off his spare and active figure, which, though he was sixty-two years of age, seemed always to be ready for a game of leapfrog. We were three days out of the Golden Gate, and the hills of the coast ridge were faint and small, and the spires of the lower Nevada could only be caught when the hot haze lifted. Everybody lay about in our ship where it seemed to afford the least smell and heat, and nobody for a moment dreamed, for we really all were dreaming, of anybody with energy enough to be disturbed about anything when Major Hawken burst in upon us all, who were trying not to be red-hot in the feeble shade of poop awnings, leading by the hand an ancient woman, scarcely dressed with decency, and howling in a tone very sad to hear. "'This lady has been robbed!' cried the Major. "'Robbed! Not fifteen feet below us! Robbed, ladies and gentlemen!' of the most cherished treasures of her life, the portrait of her only son, the savings of a life of honest toil, her poor dead husband's tobacco box, and a fine cut of Colorado cheese. Ten pounds and a quarter, gospel true, cried the poor woman, wringing her hands and searching for any kind face among us. 
"'Go for the captain,' muttered one sleepy gentleman. "'Go to the devil,' said another sleepy man. "'What have we to do with it?' "'I will neither go to the captain,' replied the major, very distinctly, "'nor to the devil, as a fellow who is not a man has dared to suggest to me.' "'All tied in my own pocket-handkerchief!' the poor old woman began to scream. "'The one with the three-cornered spots on him! "'Only two I have ever owned in all my life, "'and this was the very best of them. "'Oh, dear, oh, dear, "'that I should ever come to this exposing of my things!' "'Madame, you shall have justice done, "'as sure as my name is Hawken. "'Gentlemen and ladies, if you are not all asleep, "'how would you like to be treated so? "'Because the weather is a trifle warm, "'there you lie like a parcel of Mexicans.' If anybody pick your pockets, would you have life enough to roll over? I don't think I should, said a fat young Briton with a very good-natured face. But for a poor woman I can stand upright, Major Hawken. Here is a guinea for her. Perhaps more of us will give a trifle. Well done, cried the Major, but not so much as that. Let us first ascertain all the rights of the case. Perhaps half a crown apiece would reach it. Half a crown apiece would have gone beyond it, as we discovered afterward, for the old lady's handkerchief was in her box, lost under some more of her property, and the tide of sleepy charity taking this direction under such vehement impulse, several other steerage passengers lost their goods, but found themselves too late in doing so. But the Major was satisfied and the rude man who had told him to go amiss begged his pardon, and thus we sailed on slowly and peaceably. End of chapter 18